Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcast. Today we'll be hearing from Vincent Rajkumar of Mayo Clinic in Rochester, US. This episode is part of a series of podcasts dedicated to the Multiple Myeloma Hub Satellite Symposium, which was held virtually in May 2021. In this episode, our speaker will be discussing the treatment of elderly and frail patients with multiple myeloma and how he sees the future path towards the cure of multiple myeloma. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Today I'll be talking about uh, is cure realistic and what's the difference between cure versus disease control for elderly and frail patients. But even though the talk is elderly and frail patients, and I'll cover that in the beginning, most of the talk is actually applicable to all patients with multiple myeloma. I have no conflicts to disclose. So I won't go through these data too uh, much in depth, but we know that uh, the current standard is VRD for six months followed by LEN maintenance for elderly patients. That's based on the SWOG S0777 trial, which showed that VRD is superior to RD. In this trial, it was shown that even in patients over the age of 75 years, uh, VRD, the triplet, was still better than the doublet. Question is, can we improve on this triplet because we can still do better than what we're doing with VRD? And so we are always asking the question, can you do better? And one way of doing better is to improve on the triplet by using carfilzomib instead of bortezomib or a monoclonal antibody instead, or maybe even adding an extra drug. Uh, The Maya trial showed that if you switch out botezomib and use DARA instead, you still get the same type of benefit, you know, significantly prolonged PFS and now survival with the triplet. Uh, On the other hand, switching out botezomib with carfilzomib doesn't seem to get you that much benefit. Uh, And you can see here in the endurance trial, KRD and VRD have the same PFS and the same overall survival, at least in standard risk patients. The other question is, can you um, give an oral proteasome inhibitor instead of botezomib and the, uh, or carfilzomib? And that's because, you know, particularly in the pandemic, patients don't want to come and uh, elderly patients to, to the clinic to get uh, a parenteral drug every week. And the tourmaline trial shows that in, in such special circumstances or in patients who are elderly, frail, and cannot travel, you could use an oral triplet with exazomib lendex rather than botezomib blendex. And you can see here significant improvement in progression-free survival with this regimen. The other way of improving on the triplet VRD is to see if we can add an extra drug. And the most common drug that people want to add is daratumumab. This trial is not VRD, but VTD and the Cassiopeia trial. They added an extra drug, daratumumab. And you can see this significant benefit in PFS by adding the fourth drug, and which is also translating to a slight trend to overall survival difference. Some adequate follow-up is needed on this trial, but it's giving us the hope that maybe you could improve on VRD substantially by going to a four-drug regimen. And um, the Griffin trial is using uh, VRD plus DARA, so that's the uh, that's the regimen that we are really into, uh, studying for the next um, improvement and uh, being studied in the Perseus trial and other trials. You can see here that the CR rate is significantly better with the quadruplet DARA VRD compared to VRD, and that's also maybe translating into hint of PFS benefit. 
at this point, though, we don't have enough data to recommend this for all patients. So this is really my algorithm for transplant ineligible elderly frail patients. You could use VRD or DERA-RD for standard risk patients. And for high-risk patients, VRD has still the best data. And in terms of maintenance, the difference here is that if you use VRD, you have to use LEN maintenance. For DERA-RD, you just continue DERA-RD. If you use VRD for high-risk patients, the maintenance is both bortezomib and lenalidomide. Using this approach, we are getting really good prolonged progression-free survival and overall survival. The question is, is cure really feasible? And, and, and this time, I would say, not just for the elderly patients, but even for the young patients, and you've heard a lot from Dr. Maribi Mateos and Dr. Loniel and Dr. Moti on what this means, and I'll just give you my perspective. Um, the key considerations are what is cure? Um, if you have the time, I would encourage you guys to buy a book called The Death of Cancer by Dr. Vince DeVita, and he writes in there when they were trying to cure Hodgkin's disease, the two real key points that he was uh, convinced he should keep. One is that in order to say you're curing somebody, the treatment has to be given for a defined period of time, not continuously. Only if you're able to stop the treatment and the disease never comes back, then you can call it cure. Otherwise, it's really control. Uh, if you can control something indefinitely like hypertension or diabetes, we don't call it cure. So he, when he decided to do um, his paradigm changing four drug combination for Hodgkin's, the real key thing was that you have to stop the therapy after six or eight cycles and the disease never comes back. And the second criteria was you have to follow these patients for years to make sure the disease truly never comes back and you don't have to keep treating them. So keep that in mind when you think about what exactly is cure. We also have to distinguish what we consider our desire for cure. We want to cure myeloma. Everyone wants to cure myeloma from the question of whether we are already curing patients. And also remember that curing one or two patients, there've always been some patients who are cured even in the and prednisone era. It's very different from saying you're curing a disease. Um, I can look at a 40 year old with Hodgkin's lymphoma in the eye and say that you have a 70, 80% chance I'll cure you. I could look at a patient with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in the eye and say, I have a 50-50 chance of curing you. But if I have a 40-year-old patient with myeloma, do I say that you have a good chance of living another 40 years and, and that it would happen without any continuous therapy? We have to distinguish our goal for cure in clinical trials, which occurs with informed consent, from thinking we are curing patients and recommending treatment, adventurous treatment, in clinical practice, which is really based only on hope. Then the consideration is if we are going to cure it, how do we achieve it? And if you're not able to achieve cure at the time being, how do we achieve good disease control? I wrote these concepts in a paper in treatment of myeloma cure versus control. If you have time, you can look at it. Um, and I told you what is cure. Cure requires that, that you give a finite duration of therapy and the disease never ever comes back. Uh, you can redefine cure to anything you want, but that doesn't make it cure. In ALL, pediatric ALL, you can see even in the 60s, about 10% of kids were cured. By the 70s, you were curing about 45%. It was always a curable disease, and you could increase the cure rate with each decade. 
What we ran into when we were trying to see, are we curing myeloma, is that myeloma is a patient, disease of elderly people. And if you follow a lot of elderly people who are 70 years old for 10, 15 years, even without myeloma, you won't get a plateau in the survival curve because there is a constant drop-off due to normal causes of death. So in this paper, what we decided to do was we asked the question, people less than 50 years of age should not really be dying in the next 15, 20 years. If you actually look at that population of all patients, of the whole population, very few die. And so we wanted to see uh, how does diffuse large B-cell lymphoma look like if you take patients who are um, uh, less than 50 years of age. This is the expected survival if they didn't have diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And you can see here, overall survival drops in the first two, three years because they are patients who don't get cured and then they die. But then once three years goes away, then there is a plateau and their curve looks very similar to the curve here. That's a curable disease. Hodgkin's disease the same way. There's a few 10, 15% who die in the first two years because they couldn't, we couldn't cure them. But if they were cured, then after you stop therapy, they never relapse, they keep going, and you know, 10 plus years happens and, and nothing happens. On the other hand, myeloma, even people less than 50 years of age, treated at a top academic center, there is a continuous drop-off with time compared to the general population. And this is not even a drop-off in just overall survival, but in progression-free survival. That means that patients are not really cured. They are going for a while when they are less than 50, but they're continuously relapsing. And so you can see here that the survival curve here comes down and here there is a plateau. So uh, if you look at myeloma, there is a progression-free survival curve that looks like this. That means people are continuing to relapse just because they're alive doesn't mean they're cured. They are continuing to relapse, similar to follicular lymphoma. On the other hand, with Hodgkin's and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, they're not only living, they're living without any disease progression. And after three years in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, you can see the survival curve map. If you treat patients and three years go by and they have not relapsed, and you do a landmark, subsequently their curve is very similar to the general population. Same thing for Hodgkin's disease. Myeloma is not like that. So if a picture is worth a thousand words, this tells me we are still not curing myeloma, even in young people. And in the exceptional responders to transplant that Dr. Loniel mentioned, what we found was if you started patients at eight years who've, who've had my, myeloma, they've had transplant and they've not relapsed, eight years have gone by. And if you follow them subsequently, there's still a slow progression with time. So how do we achieve cure or control? How best do we achieve it? We have a number of drugs and we have to learn how to use them more effectively. Hopefully, we already have the recipe for cure in these drugs, but we have to be willing to do trials that will give treatment for a defined duration of time and see if we are curing people. The second way of curing people is to see if we are not treating the right population. So our hypothesis was that part of the reason we are not curing myeloma is that we are treating when it's already too late, when the disease is already advanced. So the diagnostic criteria were changed so that we could start treating early. And now Dr. Mateus has shown that if you treat even in the high-risk smoldering myeloma subset you early, 
you could improve overall survival. And we have shown that as she, as she showed in the ECOG trial. So our goal right now is to see, can we treat high-risk smoldering myeloma early with LEN or LENDEX to prolong the time to remission? But also, if we do the treatment early, say through the ASCEN trial or this Detore SMM trial, which is during DARA LENDEX, by treating high-risk smoldering myeloma early, is there any subset of patients that we are curing? That's the question we're asking. So here's my recommendations. We as investigators need to define trials which look at whether or not you're curing patients. If you give treatment continuously forever, you'll never know whether you're curing because unless you stop, you don't know whether they're going to be relapsing or not. So at some point, we have to become confident enough to do trials with well-tolerated regimens, which are time-limited, just like Dr. DeVita did in the 70s. We have to design cure with tolerated regimens, well-tolerated regimens for high-risk smoldering myeloma to see if we can cure by treating early. In parallel, we have to design trials to control the disease until such time the first two points are being met. And then in clinical practice, since we don't know whether we are curing or not, it's better to use well-tolerated regimens that have been established in clinical trials to achieve the best disease control. I'll stop with that. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Multiple Myeloma Hub podcast. Don't miss our next episode on the exciting discussion with the speakers of the Satellite Symposium. We would also like to thank our sponsors, Pfizer, Sanofi, AbbVie, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Genentech, GSK, Roche, Amgen, and Oncopeptides. Multiple Myeloma Hub podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.